listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, hey, Northside, today we are in week three of a series where we're going through the seven journeys that every disciple, follower of Jesus, really spends a lifetime navigating through all seven of these journeys. Roy Moran, in his book, Spent Matches, talks about these journeys. Uh, We've been learning a lot through that as well. And one of the things we've covered already is, in week one, the journey from from, uh, uh, earner to heir. And that's an important journey to go through. Last week, we talked about the journey from knowledge to obedience and, and how critical that is to our journey as disciples of Jesus. Today, what we want to talk about is the journey, which you'll spend a lifetime navigating through this and growing through this, is the journey from receiving to sharing, from receiving to sharing. That as you read God's word and obey it and share it with others, that you would grow to be a sharer of what you've received from Jesus. And this is an important journey to go through. In fact, there's a a sharing ethic that we see all throughout Scripture. You know, in Genesis chapter 12, whenever God came to Abraham and he was starting a nation so he could bring nations, people back to himself, he told Abraham, I will bless you so that all nations will be blessed through you. You're going to be blessed to be a blessing. You're going to receive from me so that you can share with others. When you look at the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament, and he was hesitant to go to Nineveh to tell and warn them so they might repent and turn to the Lord so they could experience his mercy. God rebuked Jonah for that because Jonah had received mercy from God. And the fact that he received it from God and didn't want to share it with someone else goes against the heart of God. Or you look at Ephesians 4.28 in the New Testament where Paul would write, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands so, it, so they may have something to share with those in need. One of the motivations for your work is not just that you receive an income so you can pay for your expenses. It's that you might actually have something that you can share with someone else. You actually work to share, to give. The Apostle Paul told his young protege, Timothy, he said, what you've received from me, the teaching you got from me, I want you to entrust that to reliable people who will also share it with others. God intended that whatever he gives us, it is meant to be something we share with other people. In the Great Commission, Jesus said to his followers, to his disciples, that they should teach others to obey everything that he commanded them. Whatever Jesus gave them, they were to share with others. We we just see it over and over again. The spiritual gifts that God has given you through the power of the Holy Spirit, those gifts are to be shared with the body of Christ so that the body is edified and it's built up. It's not to be contained. It's to be shared. We see in other places when we See, that wholesome talk should come out of our mouths, that it might benefit those who listen. Even what comes out of your mouth that you've received from God should benefit other people. It'd be something that you should share with others. And there must be exhilarating moments as God looks upon what we're doing here, even as angels peer over the balconies of heaven. There must be some exhilarating moments when God would just cheer us on and say, yes, that's what my kingdom looks like. When I think God could look down and say, that's the love I have 
Yes, you, you show that kind of love. That's the generosity that springs from my heart. Yes, you share and give to others. That's the kind of kindness and, and mercy that I show. And he sees that in us. That's the forgiveness I offer. As I've given you forgiveness and you've received that, so you are giving it to others. There must be exhilarating moments when God is applauding, all of heaven is cheering on because we are representing God in a way to this world as we share what we've received. But I also think, there must be some devastating, some devastating moments when God is saying, that is not who I am. When we turn a blind eye to people's needs, genuine needs, when we become critical and judgmental, when we become self-serving and greedy, when we turn inward or we isolate or even when we keep from sharing the good news of salvation with others because we, maybe we think the conversation could get awkward, whatever it is, we, we don't share it with someone else and we don't take what we receive from him so that someone else can learn of it too and we don't share it with others. Those must be moments that just absolutely break God's heart. When not only do we fail to represent him to this world, but we actually misrepresent him. And the conclusion that people come to around us is that this God must be stingy. This God must be close-handed. This God must be a God who takes, who demands, who burdens, instead of a God who actually shares open-handedly and who's lavished his love upon us and so loved the world that he gave his son. He's misrepresented when we do not share what we've received. This is such a strong principle all throughout Scripture. And we're going to see it today also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is going to be our text today where Paul demonstrates that we should share what we have received. We have a responsibility for this. And so I would like for us to go to this text. In fact, I'd like for us to read it together. I'm going to ask you right now just to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read this Scripture together. And in a spirit of God, speak to us. God, reveal to us what you've given us that we have to share. And so we're praying that He would speak to our hearts right now. We're going to begin in verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Here's what we read from the text. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. What, what Paul's doing here is he's defending the motives of his ministry against those who were attacking him and criticizing him and coming against him. And, and so he's going to say, no, this is genuine. Here's what he says in verse 12. He says, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again. But we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he who died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, 
Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us righteous. You have saved us. Lord, you have justified us. You have reconciled us and made us right with Jesus. And Lord, you've given us a message. And Lord, you've given us a ministry. And you've made us ambassadors, Lord, to represent you to this world. And I just want to pray that everything we receive from you, that Lord, we would see your heart in this and we would share it with others. It would not be something that we hold on to, not something that's contained. God, I I want to pray that you would help us, Lord, to have your heart. We know that lost people matter to you. May they matter to us. And may we have this heart that is willing to share everything that we've received. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. You may be seated. Such a powerful text where Paul says you've been reconciled, you've been saved, you've been made righteous. This is what Jesus has done for you. He's given you this. You have a responsibility to share it. Your messengers, your representatives to the world. And all of Paul's opponents wanted to know his angle. Like, you know, why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you sharing this? What's up with that? They wanted to know what angle he was coming from. Because from a worldly perspective, most people do that for self-serving purposes. And Paul says, no, actually, I got, I got two pure motives for doing this. Two reasons. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share whatever has been given to me. Two motives for sharing. We all have two motives for sharing. And in verse 11, he says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. That's part of the motive. But, but you have to ask, since what? Since then, since, like what came before it? Verse 10. Here's, here's one of the motives for sharing. Verse 10 says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, since we're going to give an accounting to Jesus for everything we've done, both good and bad, because of that, we're going to persuade people to be reconciled to God. Because of that, because we're held accountable, that's become our motive for sharing what we've received. The motive is this. My first motive is to please God knowing that I'm accountable to Him on Judgment Day. Knowing I'm going to stand before Him and be held responsible for what I did when I was in this body with the knowledge I had, with the salvation I received. What am I doing with that? I'm going to be held accountable for that and that motivates. Not only does it motivate me, it sets the direction of my life. I suppose in some ways that that concept of of the fear of the Lord, a reverent fear of Him, maybe on a small scale, it's kind of like when, I remember years ago, we we had a lazy boy in our house. Uh, We don't have it anymore, but it was the lazy boy with the the lever, and you'd put it up, and you'd you'd be sitting there, I'd be sitting there reading a book, and uh, the kids were doing something, I would give a direction to the kids. It was probably to my boys, and I probably gave some direction to the two of them. And when that direction was not followed, the leg rest would come down. You know what I'm talking about? Just the sound of it. Just that sound. It like, they, they, they would scurry into activity. They were compelled to do whatever it is the direction I gave them to do. Why? Because judgment was imminent. Judgment was at hand. They knew it. They knew what that sound meant. Like judgment is upon you. 
Paul is saying we live every day with an awareness that this action right now, I'll be held accountable for what I say and do before the Lord with what he's given me. I'm accountable to share it. And that knowledge every day compels him to do what he ought to do, to be in obedience to God. It was the first thing that that motivated him. But there is a second motive. In fact, it's opposite of the first motive. And the second motive is actually more powerful. It's more effective. It's longer lasting. It's found in verse 14 where he says, Christ's love compels us. Like, I know I'm going to be held accountable, so that motivates me. But you know what motivates me even more? Christ's love compels me. That, that Christ's love, that second motive is Christ's love. That Christ's love can, can either be, mean his love for me. It could possibly mean my love for him. In its context, and what a lot of commentators would say is probably it's more likely his love for me. Christ's love for me compels me. I mean, he loved me first, and it compels me. I'd say it's probably a little bit of both. His love for me, that compels me. That's enough for me. But also my love for him compels me. Compels me not only to do what he says, but to share what I've received with other people. That that compel is is an imagery of force. That I'm moved by God's love, both in motivation, I'm moved to do it, by motivated to do it, but also in direction. It, it motivates me, and it's also directional, in the direction he would have me to go. And so because of Christ's love, we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised again from the dead. That kind of love compels you to do things you ordinarily would not do. The love of Jesus for you And your love for him will compel you to do things that you normally would not do. It's kind of like, you know, when when I married my wife, Kimberly Ann, I married into a family where there was a tradition where uh, her dad and her grandfather, every year during March Madness, would like watch the whole opening round of the, well, I think they watched the whole thing, but but the opening days, you know, like, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they would watch that opening round of games all these teams coming in the basketball tournament, and they had their brackets, they'd fill them out and write in the scores and keep track, and they did the whole thing. So I married into this, which is one of the reasons why I even love my wife even more, is for that reason alone. And uh, so what would happen is uh, we had a tradition where in March, uh, I actually took typically a vacation day or two, and we would spend about three and a half days, and we would all just be together. I mean, there was a menu planned, we had food, I mean, the whole thing was planned. And we would just stay in that room for like three and a half days. Like we were in the room longer than Jesus was in the tomb, if you think about that. And we would watch basketball, and we loved it. We had such a great time. We did that for several years. I remember when Nathan, when Nathan got to age, when he could join us, that was a thrill. I remember the year it was Nathan, my son, and me, and my dad, and Kim's dad, and her grandpa. And we were all together the whole weekend watching basketball together. It was fantastic. I also remember the year that my wife told me that her best friend from college was so close to and had an opportunity to go and see her and be with her and her family and she wanted me to take her and go with her and she asked me if I'd go and we could I think it was like in Iowa I think where we were going and and uh, I looked at my calendar it was March Madness weekend and uh, it stopped the tradition 
that year because I, I took her. I took her to Iowa. And I know that some of you right now, you're, some of you may think that I was motivated by fear. <laughs> and some of you may think I was motivated by guilt. And uh, some of you may think I was motivated by the fear of judgment. I mean, I know those are entering your mind, but I'm telling you, it was motivated out of pure, passionate love. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. It was love that compelled me to do that, to give up that for that, love for her. And I don't know what you were driven by before the love of Christ. I mean, maybe you were motivated by a paycheck or a 401K or equity or preservation, or maybe you're a corner office or power, money, prestige, or promotion. All those things can be motivating factors in our world. But if you're going to live a life on mission, if you're going to share what you've received, you've got to realize, no, your motive is you're compelled by the love of Christ. You are his ambassadors. You're the megaphones of God's grace, healing and loving words to a broken world. And when that love of Christ compels you, you see your coworkers differently, your family differently, your neighborhood differently. You see it all differently because you're motivated by love. You're motivated that you're being held accountable to God. And so because of that, we have something to share. In fact, we have a powerful message to share. We have some powerful motives, but we have a powerful message to share. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's been committed to you. God gave you a message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. And and Paul would get on to say, therefore, I, I implore, he begs people to be reconciled to God. Because he has this, this message to share with other people that he's received from God. We've got the greatest news in the world. Sin's forgiven. New purpose for living. We've got home in heaven. God becomes my friend. I mean, what better news than that? A message we get to share with other people. So we got two motives for sharing. The judgment of God, the love of God, of Christ. We have a powerful message to share. One of reconciliation. God's given that to you. But we also have a ministry of reconciliation to share. Uh, Paul tells us in verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given that ministry. There's not one minister. There's many ministers. There's not one ambassador. There's many ambassadors. I know sometimes when someone's going to serve or work full-time in a church, we'll say they're going into the ministry. No, they're just continuing it in a different way because we all are ministers. We all are in the ministry of reconciliation, each and every single one of us. When, when Paul clearly states in Ephesians 6.20 that he's an ambassador in chains. He says he's an ambassador in chains. He's not the ambassador. He's one of many. He's an ambassador. And he's in chains, meaning not even, not even chains could stop him from being an ambassador, from representing Christ to whoever was around him, whatever was going on. He was going to continue to be an ambassador no matter what. There's no plan B. You're it. You're the messenger. You're the ambassador. Roy Moran in his book, Spent Matches, he says, we've been invited to join God's mission and to use his means to reach those not yet connected to him. As we move from receiving God's grace to sharing it with others, we find our greatest fulfillment in life with God. This is where it happens. He goes on to say, you know, in the Great Commission, in some ways, go and make disciples is not so much a command as it is assumed. As you're going... Make disciples. It's just assumed that you would do that. Here's what he says in his book. He says, Jesus could not conceive 
of his disciples not going, especially since their training taught them to go. He intended to embed this mission in the lives of everyone who follows him. Jesus would find foreign the concept of a person becoming a Christian but not becoming a disciple until he or she becomes more committed to the faith. This idea that we have perpetuated in recent Christianity over the last several hundred years, that, that first you, you evangelize, then you, become a, you know, then you do discipleship, or this idea that, that you get converted and then you, tr- you know, become a disciple, is not how Jesus did it. He made disciples, and that's how they became followers of Jesus. Roy Moran is making that clear for us. That from the get-go, we are disciples who make disciples. That in the great commission that Jesus gave his church, every follower, all of us, first of all, he, he speaks to his position. He established his position in the universe, his unrestricted authority and power. He said all authority has been given to him. So he's got a position of power. But in the Great Commission, he also shows us this other unrestricted characteristic, which is his presence. I'll be with you always. We have his power always. We got his presence always. He's always involved. In fact, Jesus' plan is to be personally involved in carrying out his dream to make disciples of all people groups. He's personally involved in that. So just think about the resources you have at your disposal to do this, to, to share what you've received. I mean, there's nowhere you can go. There is no circumstance you can face where you're without Jesus, without his power or his presence. And so he's calling you to make disciple makers. Don't just make a disciple, but make a disciple who makes disciples. This is our calling from God. We have something to share because we've received from him. And so I just want to invite you to be on this shared journey for the rest of your life where you go from receiving to sharing. You're constantly going to be receiving from God, so consistently and constantly share it with other people. When you read the Bible, discover what it says, obey it, and by sharing your life with other people, be his ambassador, be his messenger, share what you've received. And I just think there's some practical ways we can do that even today. I think there's some things we could be right now saying, God, I, I, I want to do this in a practical way. And so I'm just going to share a couple of those really quick ways we could just share what we've received. What might that look like if we go into places where maybe Jesus is not there yet? He's there, but they haven't have knowledge of him. You know, one of the things I remember, uh, I kind of spoke to this in our end of year report at the end of June this year, but I I just love this story where uh, on February 19th of this year, Alan Tiger preaches a sermon. It's on the compassion of Christ. And in that sermon, he talks about how compassion has to move from the pit of your stomach to the palm of your hands. There's, there's, it's got to be compassion in action, or it doesn't look like the compassion of Jesus. Austin Owens is sitting out here, and he's hearing that, and he's, the wheels start turning about what would that look like if he were to show compassion in action the way Jesus did. So he had this idea. He talked to a small group about it. And they decided that they would get on the, church, on the city website. They would locate 50 homes in the city of Springfield around the Doling Park area. They would send out postcards to those homes, and they would you know, hand address all those postcards, basically telling them that our, our, we have a, a compassion and action team made up of these families, and we're going to come, and we're, we're going to come on this certain day on a Saturday morning, and we're going to be there to serve you and, you know, pray for you, to help you, do projects, whatever you need. We're just going to be there to serve. They're going to go door to door and do this. So they showed up on that Saturday, and 
One place had tons of junk. They loaded it all up in a trailer, hauled it to the dump. Another gal, her oven wasn't working, so one of the guys in their small group fixed her oven. They prayed for people who had cancer, people who had diabetes, and started doing that. The only, the only reason I knew something had happened is because in the church office, we got a card. And, and the card was addressed to Northside, and then it said to the Compassion and Action Team. I didn't know who the Compassion Action Team was. I knew somebody did something, but I didn't. And it, was, it talked about how much the prayers meant for her and her surgery and the outcome of that. It had her address on Craven Street, how much it, she appreciated it and what it meant to her, keep the prayers coming, and she was updating them and all this stuff. I asked all of our staff around the office, anybody have a clue what this is about? No one had a clue. Okay, great. I mean, that, that's what we want. You know, pe- people go do ministry. We, don't, we can't control it, keep up with it. It's decentralized. We have no idea what's going on. That's what we want. So we loved it. So we just stuck it on the bulletin board in our office. It just hung there for, I don't know, a couple months probably, a month or two. One day I'm at breakfast with Wyatt Jenkins. We're just talking. And something he said in the conversation, I said, wait, what would you just, tell me more about that. He said, yeah, we had these t-shirts made. It said, compassion in action. Mm, I think I know this story, a little piece of it. He told me this story. When I talked to Austin about it, he said, yeah, he'd already put together this whole thing about what would happen if our church adopted all these areas throughout our city different homes, and then we went in, and we, we prayed with people, and we, we not only prayer walked, but we actually did work, and we served them, and we met needs, and we just cared for people. We just showed compassion and action in these communities. What if we actually entered into the harvest field and started doing things for people and caring for people? And for me, I was just like, ding, 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 ding. So anyway, uh, this fall, that's what we want to do. We're, in fact, we're, we're meeting with Austin uh, last Wednesday of this month, and we're going to be talking about what would that look like to have that city mapped out so that any life group, any growth group, any person who just want to get a group together and go in and, and just start making a difference in our community could say, hey, we want to go, and we want to go where we haven't been yet. And they just go into the community and start showing the love of Jesus. That's what it looks like to be an ambassador, to be a messenger, to be his voice, to share with others, to pray with others. And some of you may be like, you know, I don't even know what that would totally look like. Like, I know how to serve. I know how to do some stuff, but like, what would I even say? What would I even do? Well, Lucky for you. We got disciple-making trainings. I'll totally equip you for that. In fact, our next one's September 10th. It's at 2.30. And on that Sunday, we're going to have a disciple-making training, one through five. You get through three to four, you don't know exactly what to do in each of those situations to help someone pursue Jesus by just starting a, a discovery Bible study with them. So you're going to see what that looks like. And so we got trainings coming up. That could be a, a step you take to be a better ambassador to share what you've received. But let me show you something else we could do. We could pray. You know, our, our prayers reflect our journey from receiving to sharing. Our prayers reflect it. Because it, it's easy to focus our prayers on ourselves and what's going on with ourselves. We pray for God to bless us. We pray for personal health and healing. We, we pray for uh, these kinds of things. But when we begin to pray for those who are not yet believers, when we begin to pray for people who need Jesus, even our prayers show us now we're moving from receiving to sharing. Now the heart of the Father is becoming our heart, and we're compelled for that. That's why we've encouraged people to use this live, work, learn playlist. The people you live, work, learn, and play with, these are the people that you do life with in your circles. Who are these people that don't know the Lord that you already have in your circles? Those are worthy prayers to help you have the heart of God for them just like he has. But there's another kind of prayer we gotta be praying, not just for the lost that are around us, but the lost of the world, the unreached in the world. 
It was in January of this year, we introduced you an app called prayer.global. Remember that? When we prayed for the whole world, we wanted to make a lap praying for the whole world in one day. The, the world had been broken up into geographical states and locations, 4,770 of them. And we said, we want to pray 4,770 prayers in one day where the whole world gets prayed for by our church. We did it. In fact, we surpassed lap one. We started lap two on that very day. In fact, this would be a good time for those of you who did that. That means you probably have the app on your phone. You probably have the app on your phone, and you're like, yeah, I did have that on my phone. So start looking for it right now, prayer.global on your phone. Others of you, so get your phones out, because we're, we're actually going to use this. Uh, others of you in the room, if you did not do that, right here on the screen is a QR code, and you can right now, just with your camera, zoom in on that until it gives you the link, touch the link, it'll take you to prayer.global, and then just stay there. Don't click on anything yet. I'm going to walk you through this, where we're going to go here in a minute. But we use prayer.global to pray for the people of the world, the unreached of the world. And we did it in one day, and it was just a powerful experience for us. Conchita Lanfer, she wrote this to me after that event. She said, thank you for introducing us to global prayer. It is really compelling. When I was having trouble going back to sleep, I opened the application and started to pray. I was able to focus on individual places and imagining the people there who don't know the freedom in Jesus that's theirs for the asking. My geographical knowledge of this world is really limited, but through this program, I am seeing the bigger picture of the need for God in places I've never heard of before. I realize after the first 15 minutes that I'll have to set a time limit for myself to do this. I feel I'm accomplishing something for the kingdom in a whole new way, and it's easy and doable and rewarding. Thank you again for giving us a way to contribute to the goal of reaching every person with the good news. That came from Conchita Lanford. We prayed for that world. We started lap two that day. And since that day, I don't know, it's been a hundred and some days, we've been praying lap two. And this week, I, I made a Facebook post because I saw that we were about 90 prayers away from finishing that lap and praying for every place in the world. And so I just posted that saying, hey, join us. You know, if you join me in praying uh, for, for these states of our world. And, and so people started doing that. And I got this message from Lori Medlin. She is on our youth team serves there and helps work with our youth team. And, and she sent this. She said, the Medlins are trapped in the car. I assumed it wasn't like a, a really trapped or it, she would tell me some other things with it. But somehow, I don't know if it was traffic, waiting around somebody. The Medlins are trapped in the car, so we decided it was a great time to help finish lap two. Ava Medlin brought us to the lap two finish line. She prayed the last prayer. Fireworks going off. Lap two done, and Ava's 11 years old. And that Ava prayed that prayer. Can we, in fact, can we just celebrate that? Lap two is done. It's completed. It's over. We did it. So praise God for that. And so uh, I know you've already, uh, hopefully, uh, scanned that code, have it up. Uh, let me um, come back to Prayer Global here. I'm going to share my screen with you uh, right now up here so everybody can see this for this reason. Uh, to sh- not only to show you what to do here in a moment because we're going to pray, but I, also because some of you may not have your phone. Or maybe some of you maybe saw that QR code and thought that had something to do with the end times, and so you're scared. I don't know what happened, but um, it's okay. Uh, this is, uh, I, I'm, you can just follow along on this screen, because I'm going to start praying here in a minute, and you can just pray along with me. And when you do that, it won't count towards the total in the app program, but it counts with God. Okay, so it, it counts. And uh, so we're going to be doing this uh, together.
But I, here in a moment, we're just going to pray. In fact, there's going to be a little ambient music playing. I want to encourage everyone in this room to pray out loud. I want you to use your phone, your device to go through, and we're going to pray together. Uh, to get it started, we go to these three lines up here at the top because we're going to go to the north side lap, and you click on prayer relays right there. Prayer relays. When you click on that and you see the prayer relays, there's active relays are going to come up. And... Um, Why does mine say that? I'm going to refresh mine right now. There we go. I need to refresh my page. It's probably because I was already there. If something happened to you, just refresh it like that. See how simple that was? And you'll see Northside and Friends, lap three, right there, where it says lap one. Here's what we learned. When we did this the first time, it wouldn't, like, finish a lap and just start you in a new lap. So we had to create a whole new name. Northside Friends, lap two. Northside lap three. Well, since we did that experience, they have since updated this where it will just start adding laps. So we're going to talk to them about how we can do that. But before we learned that, we started another Northside and Friends lap three, and it says lap one. And so you can see right there, we're just going to click on pray. Now, when you do that, it's going to bring up a, a country that you can start praying for. And it's going to want you to pray for at least a minute, minimum of a minute. And so uh, my computer's acting slow right now as I'm demonstrating this. So sorry about that. Just real life. And uh, so I'm going to refresh this page. I'm not sure why it's doing that. There we go. So it's taking us to the state of Butel, North Macedonia. And I'm just going to start praying through this. When, you know, when you see the, the dark, the people in dark with that number, that represents the estimated number of people who are unreached in that area, that geographical location, that state. The light blue represents the number of people that would be cultural Christians, nominal Christians, in the sense that they've probably heard about Jesus. They have some knowledge of Jesus. They're not fully devoted followers. And then the next number is the people who actually are believers following Jesus. And again, those numbers are estimates based on what they know of those people in that location. But we're just going to spend some time praying like Jesus prayed. You'll pray for people you didn't know exist in places you didn't even know were there. And you'll be praying the prayer of Jesus in John 17, 20, which was for when Jesus prayed for those who have yet to believe. That's what you're doing. You're praying for those who have yet to believe. It's how we take this from receiving to sharing. We start gaining the heart of God in all of this. And so I just want to challenge everybody right now to pray together. We're going to take several minutes. I don't know, maybe four or five minutes right now. My goal is to pray for two places two people, groups in, in these places right now. And uh, the music's going to play. And I'm going to encourage you just to pray out loud. And if you don't have a device, just follow along on this screen up here and you can pray with me. And we're going to pray together because this is representing the heart of God for the world. So let's pray together.
And so, Lord, because these people matter to you, they matter to us. Lord, because you've given us your salvation and your righteousness and your healing, and and we've been reconciled and made right with you, Lord, we want to pray that we would share that with others. We pray for that. We pray, Lord, that this is your harvest, and we pray that workers would be sent into the harvest field. We pray that you would raise up workers for each and every one of these locations. Lord, approximately 950 places have been prayed for, but there's still 3,820 that remain. And we need to consistently pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would go into those places in all of its ways through people, through your word, through media, through circumstances. Lord, through visions and dreams as you give to people who have no scripture, who know no Christians. We just want to pray that you would reveal yourself to them so they might know the love and the grace of Jesus. We're compelled to pray, Lord, because of the love of Jesus. Lord, I I know that we've started this work. I pray we would continue to do it, whether it's in our daily devotion times, whether it's before we go to bed or when we first wake up in the morning. Lord, help us to be people of prayer. God, we invite you to do a work in this world in which you move powerfully and in people's hearts. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. This is our prayer. What we've received, we want to share. And it's my prayer that you would, this week, continue to pray for people. You would go into lost places. You would be messengers and ambassadors compelled by the love of Jesus, knowing you're held accountable for what you do you have a message to share. You are ministers, every one of you, to share Jesus with the world around you. And if we would every day read, obey, and share the Word of God in this way, I'm telling you, this community would be changed. This state would be changed. This nation would be changed. This world would be changed. As you share it with your co-workers, as you share it in the places you go, as you go, make disciples. It's time to move, to journey from receiving to sharing. And that's my prayer today. And I just want you to know, if you're in this room right now and you have yet to give your life to Jesus, you have yet to be reconciled and made right with God, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you're watching online, you can just go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision to begin that conversation with us. We'd love to talk with you. Maybe you're in the room right now. I would love to meet with you right over here at Decision Point through these double doors. I would love to pray, talk with you, visit with you right there. We're also going to have our prayer team here in a moment on the sides of the room ready to pray with you for you. I invite you to respond. Also today as you leave, you can give of your offerings to the Lord as a, as a way to, to share what you have received. It's a specific way we can act at the boxes at the back of the room or with the information you see on the screen. But as Corey shares these thoughts with you, I, I just want you to be in a prayerful state of God. What would you have me to do? I want to be obedient to that. So listen to these thoughts before we sing and I'll meet you over here at Decision Point. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.